Women in Leadership brought to you by Heron Code, the management consultancy for what happens next. For more information, you can visit heroncode.com. In this podcast, we will be talking to female leaders of today to inspire the leaders of tomorrow. Today in the Heron Code studio, we are joined by Farah Zafar. Farah is a multi-award winning chief legal officer with over 20 years experience, where she has been instrumental to the growth and success of prominent developing companies, as well as working for the region's most prominent leaders and visionaries, which include the ruler of Dubai and the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. Recently founded Lively, a revolutionary integrated tech platform designed to help people monetize their passion from a digital landscape to Web3. I was working in Mayfair, I was a corporate commercial lawyer, and I remember the partner called me to his office and he said, you will never amount to anything in your life. When you come from nothing, you know what nothing feels like. And so you don't have a choice. You talk about what it takes to have resilience, I think is the question. I think it's this overwhelming inner strength that tells you that you cannot give up. Women in Leadership brought to you by Heron Code. Welcome to Heron Code's Women in Leadership podcast, joined by another phenomenal female. I want to welcome you with all my might because just you <laughs> entering a room is just you light it up. Uh, welcome to Farah Zafar. How are you? Thank you so much. That's so kind. Um, yeah, I mean, you know what? That's just about energy, right? <laughs> you just want to bring the energy to everything that you do. So I'm very grateful to be here. Thank you to Heron Code. Thank you to you. It's an absolute pleasure. Absolutely. And it's my third podcast. Yeah. It's my first podcast. Like, hey, and I'm doing it with you. I How love amazing that. is that? It's an honor. It really, really is. Thank you now, so much. Uh, our listeners would have already heard uh, who you are and what, what you've really brought to this world and your role and everything that you've achieved. Um, I would love to hear from you in your own words because, you know, it's like nowadays <laughs> people can look at everyone's Instagram bio, their yeah. uh, LinkedIn, and you have your title, so to say. Yeah. But how would you best describe? yourself and who you are and the roles you play? Wow, that's a question. Do you know what? It's just been a journey and an evolution to working really hard and to be convicted to a profession to perform at the highest. Um, You know, when I was young growing up, it was all about, you know, my father always said, be the hardest working person in the room. And that's really what I went away with. And I think growing up... um, you know, affection or love was only given on performance. And I think that that was really indicative. I think the first time that my father told me I was pretty, I was 32 at my youngest brother's wedding. And so growing up, it was all about performance. It was not being a female. It was not being, you know, trying to be pretty or trying to convey a certain image. And, you know, we're in this world right now where it's all about image, right? So yeah, it was it was literally about working hard, having a dream. The dream was to be a lawyer that was so good that I did no longer have to conform to a society pressure as to what that would entail, mm-hmm. hence the rock star. But no, it was it was just hard work. It was dedication, it was focus, it was hard work, it was sacrifice, it was go through adversity and embrace adversity. And it was hard. I mean, people look at you when you're successful and they think, oh, it must be so easy. I mean, my journey has been so not easy. I mean, I came from a household in the UK. My dad gave me three options. It was doctor, dentist, lawyer. 
My older brother is a dentist. I'm a lawyer. My younger brother kind of broke the mold, but is incredibly successful in what he does. And I remember LA Law was out at that time. And I was like, oh, I think I could do shoulder pads and big hair and high heels. <laughs> okay, we do lawyer. <laughs> I'm like, okay, let's roll. Did I expect to get here where I was? No way. Did I expect to be on the journey that I am on right now? No way. But I think it comes from this fervent force that my parents gave me that hard work is success and there's no backing down from it because there's, there's no option, right? You know, when you come from nothing, you know what nothing feels like. And so you don't have a choice. And so to navigate yourself through a journey you know, has been challenging in its own right, but it's been a journey that I've been very proud of, you know, how you handle that. And you spoke about conforming to society, something that you said that you were just completely not wanting to do, not wanting to even entertain, I guess. Yeah. What was that society that you were kind of surrounded in and and that you were kind of, I guess, essentially what most people were conditioned yes. to be a part of? You know, I come from a very conservative, humble household. So you're kind of predicated on respect and honor and loyalty and respect to your family so that was installed in me and then as you go through life you have these different components that try to stretch that and it really is up to you whether you hold true to who you are or whether you expand you know and conform so I think you know a couple of things for example in corporate you know corporate is savage anybody that thinks that corporate is not savage it's savage it's savage when you're low and it's savage when you're high right there's political games there's manipulation there's being underhand and for me what I needed to navigate was really to be instilled by core corporate values that my father had taught me and I I needed to respect that you know respect loyalty honor you know, not playing the political game, which as you go up through the corporate ladder becomes harder and harder because you do need to do that to succeed. But I was I was fervent in the belief that if you would just walk up the ladder as you were meant to walk up the ladder and just work hard and concentrate and focus, then once you got up the ladder and you didn't take the escalator, of course, that nobody would be able to push you down. And I think that was the strength of determination. You know, when I came... I wanted to be a lawyer, obviously. My dad gave me three options. LA Law defined it. But, you know, in the UK, you couldn't be a lawyer unless you got a training contract. So I went through, like, 532 applications. So then you understand rejection. Mm -hmm. And you, you understand rejection not because you didn't get your grades or because you understand rejection because, I guess, at that point, there was... You know, we're talking a long time ago. I know I'm only 27, but, (laughs) you know, at that time there was 11% of all ethnic minorities in the UK would get a training contract. And you think you've worked hard and you've nailed your grades and everything. And, you know, 532 rejections is a lot. 533, I end up having this interview with this guy And he's like, oh, so we've got a criminal law position available. And I always kind of knew I wanted to be a corporate lawyer. But I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Great. Let's do this. And I got literally thrown into criminal law. My training contract was hard because they were off the impression because I was kind of born and raised in Surrey. Never went to private school, did not have a privileged upbringing, understood hunger, understood what you had to do to survive but they still had this perception of me because I spoke well that they had to break me and I had the hardest time 
because they were just all in that position to break me. So they would give me criminal cases. And I think I had a glorified perception of the judicial system in the UK. You know, it's revered. You know, we all love it. It's revered. It's probably the most, uh, you know, kind of amazing judicial system in the world. And then I, I started, you know, being the defendant to these criminal cases. And um, I believed in judicial right and wrong. I believed in innocent and guilt. And then when it comes down to it, I got everybody that I thought was guilty free and had one case, and it was this teenage kid that was innocent. And I got a hung jury. And I was like, what? And it was it was kind of that monumental time in your life where you understand that judicial systems across the world are not about innocent and guilt. It's about, it has so many factors. Are you the best lawyer? What is the media or social impact at that time and everything else that affects that, you know, guilty or or innocent verdict? And that really shattered me to the core because suddenly, you know, you want to be a lawyer and you want to profess and you want to do guilt or innocent and you're, and it was, it was heartbreaking, at which time I decided I wanted to be a corporate lawyer, which I got to in the end. But all that is to say is that, you know, it's about absolute determination and hard work. And when you come from a family that, you know, you, you don't have anything, there's really nothing to lose, right? Everything is up, up, right? So no matter how, how bad you treat me, it's like up, up. You know, it shows you resilience. It shows you adversity. It makes you become something. So, you know, I embraced the journey. And then I finally landed, kind of, I trained. I got Supreme Court qualified. I won every case. And then I kind of thought I was in my dream job, I was working in Mayfair as a corporate commercial lawyer. And I remember the partner called me to his office and he said, he said, you will never amount to anything in your life. And, you know, having gone through this kind of abusive environment at training and then thinking I've got my dream job and having somebody that I respect, you know, is a partner of this firm, it really took me back. And then I thought, you know what? No, I'm just going to prove this wrong. And then you know, life is this funny, crazy thing, right? Because I was literally on my desk and I get a phone call and they say, you've been headhunted for a job in Dubai. And I'm like, I don't even know where Dubai is, right? Like, where is this place? Um, And I thought I was being super smart because now I think I'm a corporate lawyer. So I'm like, oh, that's good. They're like, we want to fly you out on Friday to do the interviews. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know what? I want to negotiate my package before I, I thought I was so smart. And they're like, okay. And I'm like, damn, okay. So I come out to Dubai and I do my interview and they say, you know, you're going to meet a Sheikh called Muhammad, Sheikh Muhammad. And I didn't know who Sheikh Muhammad was. I thought it was a Sheikh called Muhammad. And, uh, you know, in, in the UK, a lot of my clients were the ruling families of like Kuwait and Saudi Arabia. And, um, I remember when I first met him and he said to me, he asked me a really interesting question, like the smartest question everybody's ever asked me. He said, what is the difference between a barrister, a solicitor, and an avocat? And I was like, damn, that's smart, you know? And then I answered that question, and he said, okay, he said to the chairman, make sure she stays here for more than one year, because then she will not leave. And here we are, 22, hours, <laughs> 22 years later, I'm still here. He was right. He was right. <laughs> uh, Dubai is, has been an amazing place, but I guess the fundamental for that in terms of a life lesson is when an opportunity is given to you, 
and you take it, it can literally transform the entire trajectory of your journey. That was really what that opportunity did for me. So I don't think I answered your question. But no, you did absolutely, <laughs> and then some. Okay. Um, I want to. I, I want to go back to where you spoke around mental resilience because yes. you know so many men or women listening right now are at that stage in their career. You know, no matter how old you are, you know, people are now, especially after the pandemic, turning to entrepreneurship and you know giving up that job that they didn't like, they weren't happy at. What you've overcome and the people that you've come across, I mean, that example that you came of that guy, that shareholder, or he, what he said to you, you're never going to come of anything. Yeah. It takes a lot to bat that off, to create a shield around you, to continue to keep going. How did you do that, essentially? So that was nothing, actually. Mm. For some reason, and I, I've really tried to look back on why, I didn't know whether it was because growing up, it was this whole thing about you have to work hard for your money, right? There was that ingrain, you know, you watch your parents, they work 24-7, you know, you come from this, an amazing background, I'm not saying that, but one that hasn't got wealth or abundance in it, right? And so you see that, and I think it resonates a part of you. So for me, it was like, work hard, be the hardest working person in the room, and then you get to being successful. But I think that, the work hard became a part of my identity. So actually, every role that I've been in for the last 22 years, I hate to say it, but it's true, has been an incredible test of my resilience and the ability to go through it. It's been hard. It's been hard. I mean, now we're in an environment where we talk about mental health, we talk about abuse, we talk about the Me Too movement, we talk about all of that. But when I was growing up, you didn't have that. So you just, you know, find the best way to get through this on the premise that if you can get through this, then you're going to be okay. So, and that's when I talk about the ladder, right? It's like, you know, when you come from nothing and you get to the first ladder and you get to the second step and the third step and the fourth step, anybody across that journey is going to put you down. They sabotage you. It's political. And for me, I just wanted to really stay true to who I was because I have an immense amount of respect for my father. And he always said, never compromise integrity. And I think I could have got up the ladder faster, to be honest, but I didn't want to play that game. So it was harder. It was longer. You talk about what it takes to have resilience, I think, is the question. I think it's this overwhelming inner strength that tells you that you cannot give up because looking down is not an option. The only option is to to just keep on going. Everybody thinks it's easy, right? They look at me like, oh, it's so easy. No, I'm, I'm sorry. It has not been easy. I mean, you know, you talk about who you are, right? And and what you bring, nobody has ever helped me. Nobody has helped me in any form or space. It has just been an absolute pledge to my parents to build a better life for all of us that just kept me going. And it's resilience. It's about the power of your mind. It's about bringing a shield around you that you, and it was this whole thing about, okay, if you're going to try and attack me, you're going to try and bring me down. That's okay. Because adversity and resilience is only going to make me go higher. And I think that's it. It's, 
do whatever you want to bring me down, but my resilience is going to conquer in the end. And it's strange that you say that because I was looking back at Korea and it has been a really rough road. It has not been easy, but it's about resilience and embracing everything that negative that happens in your life and trying to use it as, you know, your initial strength to help you get up that ladder. Mm. That's all I can say. It was resilience. And you spoke about, you know, no one helped you along the way. No. In terms of your journey, how was it? Because people talk about your the circle around you and, yeah. you know, the, the saying that you are the average of the closest five people around you. What was that for you doing what you do? I imagine you didn't even have time to breathe. But how important is it for people to have the right support system around them? You had such great parents. You had such great siblings. A lot of people don't have that. You know, friends essentially, especially here in Dubai, friends become family. So how important is it for people to, to focus on that and really understand how pivotal that is towards their success? It is so important. But, you know... You have to appreciate that when I came here 22 years ago, I didn't know anybody in Dubai, right? And I was probably one of a handful of female executives in a role that I was in. Um, And, you know, I remember the first day that I arrived, I thought that I would meet friends and people in my workspace because that's what you expect. And there was a memo that we issued And it said, nobody's meant to come into my office, exchange pleasantries or approach me. And I'm like, oh, my God, how am I meant to make any friends? (laughs) Um, And I didn't for like three years. So having this ecosystem of friends and family is so important. But also, I moved here when I was fairly young. And there wasn't that society or that element of Dubai that you have now. So really, it was about independence and resilience within oneself and your brain and having faith, which was very important to me, that allowed you to kind of succeed. But now I'm in this different ecosystem where, you know, I'm building something that I'm very passionate about. I'm surrounded by people that love me and respect me and we're on this journey together. And it's it's a totally different feeling. But moving up in the world through my corporate career has been incredibly lonely, Mm. I have to say. Mm. And I want to go into that law element of your career because, you know, back when you were studying, you mentioned this a couple of times now, things were a lot more different than they are now. We're living in a world where resources are just, you know, they're in abundance, Uh, social media, the internet, whatnot, networking so much easier. By one click, you can speak to someone, you know. Do you think it's necessarily easier nowadays to to become a lawyer and do what you do? Um, I I mean, I wouldn't want to you know, comment on anybody else's journey. Mm -hmm. But I think it's easier. (laughs) I mean, you have resources at a click of, I mean, Google is amazing, right? I mean, you don't know how to draft a contract, you click it, it gives you precedent. (laughs) You want to look at law, it's there. I mean, it's an easier journey. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you have other, you know, problems that arise? Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, the way that technology has impacted you know, careers and performance and communities has been incredible. Um, So yeah, I think it's easier. (laughs) (laughs) How has technology changed the law industry in particular? Has it it impacted in any way, in in particular to what you do? Well, in particular to what I did, Did. because I'm no longer a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I'll always be a lawyer at Harvard, (laughs) no longer pursuing that. I think the legal profession was very slow in adopting technology, apart from having, you know, apps that did case law for you or precedent systems for contracts. The legal profession has been fairly slow in adopting kind of AI and 
more conducive technology to performance. But, you know, there's just a lot more resources available. But I think the law in particular does require a certain personality and a certain one-to-one, even though they say that law is going to replace by an AI that can tell you what your predicated chances are of success. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, but the law profession as a whole has taken a little bit more time to adopt to technology than any other sector, I do believe. Mm, and and let's talk about what you're doing now, uh, <gasps> because that is so exciting what you're doing. You are at the forefront and, and you are really molding uh, something phenomenal for women in technology as a whole. Uh, could you tell the listeners what it is that you're doing? So before I tell the listeners what it is, maybe I could explain the journey. Sure, absolutely. Um, so... The only thing I ever wanted to do in my life was to be a successful lawyer. And I believed that that was my life's mission and worked really hard at it, really defined my craft, learned every surrounding aspect of it. And then you get to a stage where, and I had the, I had the privilege of working for some of the leading visionaries in the Middle East and, and CEOs. And I'm a, I'm a great observer. I think it happens when you have no friends. Right? <laughs> and you just observe everybody. <laughs> so I just like observed and I just learned and I analyzed behavior. You know, what makes a successful CEO? What makes a successful ruler? What are their shortcomings? How does ego place into this? You know, how do they motivate and lead countries? How do they motivate and lead teams? And it was an amazing experience. I also felt that I'd hit a ceiling in my professional career, was that, you know, I was the go-to CLO for a leader, a visionary, a CEO that wants to achieve their goals. Why? Because I was the execution person. And again, it wasn't about law. It was about understanding commerciality, strategy, vision, execution, okay? And so I kind of got to this glass ceiling, I think, and I was really thinking that I've learned all of this knowledge from observation and being analytical. I've read every book there is. I've watched, you know, I don't watch anything that's not going to really fuel me to see who is this ruler and what did they do and how did they accomplish what they accomplished. And I was thinking, you know what, I would love to be CEO, But the glass ceiling is there, right? You're a CLO, you're always going to be the second person, you're always going to be the right hand to the CEO or the ruler. And then you look at the statistics, right? 5% globally are female CEOs. And I thought, is there a way that you could forge that? But anyway, I was, uh, it was COVID. I pretty much had my dream job in Saudi Arabia. I felt that my 20 odd years of experience had culminated to this role. I was super excited about it. But COVID hit and I was, you know, like all of us, you know, it was like 24-7 in front of a screen, you know, doing your Zoom calls or your team calls. And I felt it. And I, I don't know whether we all felt it, but I felt it, which was that there was this paradigm shift that was happening in the world. And the paradigm shift was this elevation of technology in terms of like, you know, my parents... Are like they've never used like Zoom or Skype, and suddenly Baba at like eighty six had a had an iPhone, yeah. and suddenly found me on Facebook. That was a scary moment, um, and I'm like, whoa! Right, there's this paradigm shift happening. If you don't embrace technology, what happens? And you could see that with the Web two movement, which you know, as we all know, Web two 
social media, smartphones, access to data, you know, as we constantly go in our lives. And the paradigm shift that happened in the pandemic just elevated this growth potential of Web2. And I was like, okay, there's something happening here. And let me just sit down and really think about, and I think we all did. I think everybody during the pandemic thought about what are we doing? What is the future and what are we doing? You know, hundreds of millions of people across the world lost their jobs. Everybody understood that to be successful, you had to have a digital brand, right? Everybody knew that to make any money, you had to be online. So there was this very strong paradigm shift that happened. But when I looked at the environment, there was really no one that was facilitating the paradigm shift that happened. And if you look at Generation Z, I mean, you know, the pandemic bought against this revolution of the gig economy, right? That's never been happened before. You had Generation Z, you know, 68% generation. You ask them what they want to be. I mean, my dad was like, doctor, dentist, lawyer. Generation Z, we want to be an entrepreneur. We want to be an influencer. We want to hold our own brand. But where is the technology that's willing to sustain that? So I remember I was in Riyadh under COVID lockdown. <laughs> that was hard. Um, <laughs> it was really hard. And I had to like take a step back and I said, okay, where do we go from here? So I said, okay, let's take it back to my base fundamentals. What do you know? Number one, my next role has to be CEO. I think I've hit a glass ceiling. I don't think it's going to happen. Number two, I know how to build billion-dollar corporations because I've done that my entire life for the CEOs and the rulers that I've worked for. Number three, the future is tech. Now, this is coming from a person that struggles with moving from one iPhone to the next <laughs> iPhone, right? I mean, let's be honest. I yeah. mean, I'm the most tech-unsavvy person in the world. But I still felt the paradigm shift. And then I thought, okay, I've done what I was meant to do. Now, if you were to take a step back and think, what is there else for you to do? It was really about passion, you know, I was looking at the statistics and people and hearing stories. And I thought there has to be a better way for people to monetize and not just monetize, but monetize passion. Right. And I remember when I was thinking about leaving my, you know, very high paid job that I'd worked 22 years to get. That was a scary journey because I remember one of my friends saying, so what happens? Where does your knowledge go? And it was such an interesting question because you know before that my knowledge used to go to either the role that I'm in or the people that I'm training or my team etc and I wondered I said well where does it go and then she says to me you know you need to work on your social media Instagram presence and I was like how am I going to do that I'm not an influencer I'm not the one percent of the people that can actually make money online I looked at the technology infrastructure and the ecosystem who makes money it's big tech and I was like, this has to change. And, and that was the birth of Lively. So Lively, I mean, it, it gives me goosebumps thinking about it. What we've built, and I've built it with the two most amazing, passionate co-founders, Dave Katudal and Anthony Matsuba, who's my CXO and my CTO. And it's so weird how the universe brings together people. And now we can talk about your tribe, right? Your people. Because before I've been like, oh, I just got to perform. And now it's like, oh, okay, energy, come, come, come. And um, 
you know, we have this collective vision and mission about revolutionizing tech. And what we mean by that is that there are hundreds of millions of people, content creators, independent professionals, businesses. If you look at the ecosystem right now, these people spend hours every day to make content. And the only people that benefit from the content that they make is big tech. So big tech has just exponentially grown right through the pandemic. Has anybody else made any really serious money? No, apart from the 1% of influencers or whatever, or the top 1% of YouTubers. We're talking about a generation that understands that in order for us to build a sustainable brand and to monetize, you need to be online. And yet tech has not done that. There has been no transition. So what we are going to do is we are, first of all, with a platform for the people. We are all about the person. What we want to do is revolutionize the way that people have a digital presence online, are able to build a brand, and are able to monetize. That's our promise. We're here for you. You control your content. You control how you monetize it. And then there's been this exponential shift between Web 2 and Web 3, right? Web 2 is in its own ecosystem. And we all know Web 2. We understand it. We're all in it. We're all vested in it. And that's great. But Web 2 is fundamentally owned by big tech. So the more time you spend on social media, the more money that they're making. Do you make any money? No, you're just wasting money and you're not pursuing your passion. You're not reading a book. You're not spending time with your peers. And and this is the issue with Gen Z. So what we wanted to do was, okay, let's turn this right on its head. What does it take to build a platform that ultimately becomes your Web2 intuitive trusted platform where you can make money? monetize your passion. Can you imagine what a world would be if you had more people making money and monetizing passion? I mean, it'd be a different place. Mm -hmm. Now, people think that if I was going to monetize passion, does that really end up in a paycheck? Because we've been governed to think like that, because we are governed to think that it's all about corporate. You need your job, your nine to five, whatever. Who are you making money in all of this? It's either your corporation or it's big tech. This is one of the two, right? We're like, no. Can you imagine it is fervently true that when you pursue passion, money follows? And I think money is a really interesting concept because growing up, what was ingrained in me was work hard, make money. If you work hard, you make money. And I I look back on my life and I now realize why it was so hard, right? Because I had to really work hard to make money Mm. because that was my narrative. And I tell you, when I took a step back and I really tried to understand money and when you realize that money is energy and you realize that actually if you were to follow and pursue your true purpose and your passion and you really enjoyed that, money would follow, right? Money is energy. It's abundant. It is everywhere. But it's us that are like, oh, we need the paycheck. And it was difficult for me too. I gave up a huge corporate role to pursue a passion. And that's what we really need to instill with our platform is pursue your passion. We will give you the platform, the resources, the control. We'll give you everything. Just pursue your passion and monetize from it. And we really hope to just, you know, be able to create a better experience and and create abundance because ultimately people's success will be ours. 
And it sounds so exciting because also when you speak about passion, you speak about previous generations as well. Passion used to be a privilege. Oh, yeah. In order Absolutely. To pers- <laughs> in order to pursue your passion, it was an absolute privilege in order to do that. And now what you're doing is transforming the psyche and, and changing the conditioning of how people have, have been going through the generations, right, with Lively? Absolutely. And I think, you know what, the most, the most pivotal shift that's going to happen for us is I want everybody on our platform that they become so successful that there is this pivotal shift in the universe that allows people and money to be attracted to passion. And that's why we're talking about revolutionizing tech and the way that people perceive their purpose and their passion. And if we can do that, then we're really onto something. Of course, it's... uh, you know, it's like Steve Jobs says, uh, what is it? The, the craziest people in the world that think they can change the world are crazy and they probably do. I mean, that's where we are. We're like between crazy and like, okay, we've got this. So yeah, But crazy is where change comes. <laughs> yeah, crazy exactly. is where change comes. Yeah. Um, now, I want to, I would love to, I mean, I could go on with you for days, I think. But um, I would love to ask you, and one question that's been going on in my mind yeah. uh, this whole episode okay. is what would Farah now say to younger Farah? Is there anything in particular, if you were to meet her today and you were to sit down with her, you've achieved so much in your career and to look back and what she's been through, is there anything that you would guide her and give her advice or? What a question. Okay. (laughs) I just went Oprah on you. I know, you just did Oprah on me. Oh, that's my dream, by the way, to be on Oprah. Inshallah, Um, one day. (laughs) I think it would be to, to enjoy the journey because I never enjoy the journey. You know, for me, it was like, oh, I've got to do like two and a half years here. And then I've got to do three years to go into corporate. And then I've got this one. I've got to do three years. And I'm going to. And so for me, it was this constant focus and determination on where I needed to get to next. And I never really enjoyed the journey. So one would be enjoy the journey because there's one life. And when you get to my age, you're like, damn, I wish I really enjoyed the journey. Okay. And second, I think it would be that to really embrace adversity you know like don't push against it and just embrace it because when you look back and if you have that faith when you have adversity and you look back you're actually going to understand that there was a reason for that adversity and it was that adversity that puts you into a position it's like you know when you look back and you can connect all the dots you're like oh that's why it happened and therefore it's kind of it's entwined right it's in enjoy the journey and embrace the adversity. And I remember I've always said it was like whenever something, you know, really horrible has happened and there have been a lot of horrible things that happened in my life was that I used to say, you know what, Far, it's okay. You know, this is a chapter in your life. This is a chapter in your life story. You know, you're not writing a rom-com. Right? <laughs> you're a rock star. Yeah. And there needs to be some drama. Mm-hmm. So it's okay. The thing is, write the chapter And then the readers want to hear something a little bit more inspirational. So get through it and move on to the next chapter. So it's really about feeling the adversity, living it through, empowering through it and understanding that, you know what? After the rain, the sun shines. Beautiful. You are phenomenal, Farah. Your energy, we spoke about energy earlier. Just being around you inspires me. Uh, This has been such a wonderful conversation to have with you and I'm sure so many people have benefited from it. So thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much. You're amazing. (laughs) Women in Leadership brought to you by Heron Code.